All right, all right. We are back with episode number two. Episode number two of Life in Microdoses. I'm your host, Andre. This is Derek. And uh, we have our first guest today. Our first guest. Um, he came from far and wide. Far and wide. Down from, the street. From Adelaide Street. <laughs> uh, from the east end of Toronto, all the way to Mariner. The guest that we have on today is Richie. Uh, he's a really good friend of mine. I've met him back in university. And, you know, over the course of this lockdown, I would say, you know, we were good friends before, but we've gotten even closer. And uh, both Andre and myself have kind of really noticed how well-rounded of a human being you are. I, I think for us, um, me and Andre kind of are one leaning towards one side and it's very good to kind of, you know, see someone that can A, hang with us, but still have balance from the other side. Cause sometimes it's, it's hard to, um, you know, if you're, if you kind of lean one way, it's hard to kind of hang with someone that leans the other way or has thoughts and values of the other side, um, you know, but still get along really well. You know, so I'm really, really glad you're here today and uh, looking forward to, to the gems that you're about to drop. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say how uh, nostalgic the change of season is. Right. I mean. Frankly, I don't think it's a change of season. It's just going to be really cold again like, yeah. around the corner. But like, it's so nostalgic. Like I was coming here and it just felt like summer. Yeah. It's yeah. like the feelings of summer just brushing back. How the fuck was it? A year. three. No, it feels like I can't believe it was a year ago. since last patio already. Yeah. Right? And it just felt so weird. But at the same time, it felt eerie because obviously I passed all these restaurants and they're all like closed. And I saw like, I don't know. The bartender just like I literally saw at the uh, the wings shop downstairs. Th there was a bartender just lying on the bar, like on their phone. Oh and I was like, God, "What man. a what a <laughs> physical representation of like what what life is yeah, like yeah, right yeah. now, right?" Every business is gonna gonna be like. I, I mean, if I was a business, at least I would be as optimistic as possible, and I'm gonna be like, "Okay, I'm not gonna like be pessimistic and then lose my opportunity in case it happens." Yeah. But at the same time, the government can come in and or whatever, and they can just like you know tear everything back down again which yeah. like that's a shitty feeling even um before this lockdown when derek and i were hitting up the patios uh, i think like one of the italian restaurants we went to the owner said they spent like 40 grand just to like set up the patio and two weeks later they had to shut down it's wild um but but again if if you can kind of make it through this as a as a restaurant yeah. you're uh hopefully good times are ahead it, it, I think we talked about this like randomly on the weekends, just like how, uh, how all of this has brought up so much kind of the systematic uh, just disadvantages, right? It's like it's truly access to, to, to credit that yeah. like keeps business running, right? Mm. And so like a lot of these small businesses, like they just have, they don't have the cash flow to sustain it. Whereas these big businesses, like, they're losing money up the ass, but they have cash flow through access to loans and credit. And What are you excited about the most when things open up? I think, so Riley's 15, 15 months old, right? Riley's your daughter? My daughter, yeah. So 15 months, born in November, like there's been like two phases of her life, right? The newborn phase where like we as a family are basically locked down, even if there was, wasn't COVID because she's a newborn, right? Like um, the, the world is so new to her. She's, she's so vulnerable. We as parents also feel like she's way too vulnerable, probably more so than she actually is. So that's like, you know, the first 100 days kind of thing. 
So we were like locked down. That brings us into, say, February, right? So there's like a really small window between then and, and then when lockdown started. And then it's been just ever since then, the next phase of our life has just been this, this one big, long stretch version of what it really shouldn't be for a kid growing up. Just so just to get exposure to something other than us in a condo, you know, from time to time, like you guys, other, other people, that's what I'm most excited about. I'm most excited about Riley having new experiences. Like it's, yeah. think about like 15 months of being locked down. Like for us, sure, that's like, you know, a small percentage of our life. For her, it's 100% of her life. I wonder if um, being locked down for a year is more detrimental to an adult mind or a, a baby's, a child's mind. I mean, I, th I think adult, I mean, I actually looked into this because, yeah. <laughs> of course I did. The, 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 the kind of resounding um, kind of tidbits that I got from just researching online has been how like it'll probably have no effect because like if you look back at us over the course of like humankind. You're like, talking about uh, babies right now? Babies, yeah, yeah. babies, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they were mostly trapped inside. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. The, like, the, like this, this socialness amongst like really, really yeah, young kids yeah. is like, and the grand scheme of things, a pretty small, uh, a newish kind of Concept trend or con exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't think it'll have a, as big of a big of an impact. But at the same time, like, how do you define big impact, right? Like, yeah, it, when they're twenty years old, they're not going to feel it, and it's not going to make a difference. But like at the end of the day, what matters is that like they're still going to live through their you know their twos and their threes yeah. and whatever. And even if it has an impact, then like that's important. That's important to me. Like you know what I mean? I want. I wouldn't want Riley to, to not fully experience like the peak of what, uh, you know, she can experience. And so even if like the impact is like not felt over the long term, I still think that's important. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see, I guess. But when things open up, like I'll tell you what, we're going to, we're going to be out we're there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 we'll be sure. right there with you, bro. <laughs> exactly. Like, we're going to be out there. We're going to uh, be drinking with Riley. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. And it sucks because like I, I, so I literally just went back to work like three weeks ago. Yeah. I was on Pally for five months. Literally go back to work, the weather like all of a sudden jumps 20 fucking degrees. <laughs> now you want to go outside and play. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's life, man. In a lot of ways, um, she's really lucky to have you for that year because you were working from home, right? Yeah, I was exactly. I was basically off for five months. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, How was that for you? It was such a blessing. Like I, I'm obviously making this up, but like I feel like there's like actual... Connection. recognition in her eyes right. when she looks back at me and and I can't help but to think if I wasn't home or or rather like I was not with her 24 7 and I just had you know the two three hours a day with her like outside of work that like there wouldn't be that same light in her eye yeah um obviously I, I does she I notice mean, your absence now when you're because you're back at oh, work oh man it's like the saddest thing the first like week call it um, she would like when I went up, when I would go out to like, you know, fill up my water bottle or whatever, cause I, I work in another room. Um, she would like, oh, look at me and she would like put her hands up and, and, and say up, up, up. Uh, and then I would like, you know, obviously not be able to, to do that. Cause I'd be like in between meetings or, or whatever. Uh, I run back in, I would hear like her, her cry a little bit. And then, you know, after, you know, a minute or whatever, she'd run back to mom. And then literally a week later, it, it was like, she knew the concept already which that in itself is amazing. But like I would walk out, grab water or whatever. And she would look at me and she would say hi in, in her you know baby voice. And she would, she would wave. And then I would like start walking back with my water bowl and she would just start waving back and saying bye. But man, find solace in the fact that you were there for, for the first year of her life, man. That's something that a lot of parents don't get to experience, especially the dads. Let's go back to like a specific moment if you can. 
like as early as possible where you just realized, yo, I'm my life is different now, you know, and what that situation was. So I kind of struggle with that uh, that question. I also kind of struggle with the whole concept of how how it's changed me. Like it's a very very like like you know, like because it's still so new or why? No, no. I actually think like. I, I struggle with trying to articulate how it has changed me. Truly, like, right. I, 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 like for me, I think that's a good thing in a way where I see a lot of uh, other guys who become fathers, and it changes them to the yeah. point where they're just a shell of the person that they were before. And when I look at you, honestly, like you, you've managed to kind of balance the the two lives, I guess, where being a father and also like keeping your identity. Yeah, I, th- I I think that's important. I mean, I, I it would be really interesting to see, like, like a split into two populations of people being asked that question of people that like truly truly felt that they were like ready for fatherhood before they became a father, and ones that truly felt like they didn't, and and like they would have the benefit of hindsight, right. <laughs> so they would experience two years of fatherhood and then and then rewind and say, oh, I was ready or I was not ready, and then to see kind of like the differences in in responses from those two groups. For me, I would definitely place myself in the group of like, yeah, I knew I was ready. In fact, I was ready before, well before. Um, like, you know, I, I, you know, Riley could have been three years old right now, and I think I would have been ready kind of thing. For Derek and I, yeah, I don't think we're ready right now. But like, <laughs> what are those signs that we should be looking for to know that we're ready? Yeah, how do you know you're ready for to raise a human being? <laughs> uh, I mean, one, one, one answer to that, which... Seems kind of uh, kind of weird and a, maybe maybe a little bit uh, kind of standoffish to say is like I felt like I, I wasn't being challenged in life. Um, like yeah, I remember you. I remember you talking about this. <laughs> yeah, before, right. Yeah. And and like not, not to say that Riley is just a challenge in life. Um, I, I just mean that like from a life experiences perspective, I I I've always kind of tried to expand that as much as possible and, and chase new experiences and, and, and make sure that like I don't go through life not having experienced things period um, and you know there are a lot of uh, a lot of things that over the last call it five or six years that I felt like have really kind of cemented uh, in my mind of like pretty big magical experiences whether that's you know getting married and, and like having having a home owning a home together all those things and then I think over time it's, it's just like alright like Rather than saying like, "Am I ready?" Like, why am I not ready? Like, what what are the reasons that would make me think that I'm not ready? And like, I failed to kind of come up with anything like that. Uh, and so, in a sense, like when I look at you know my my just like my personal life, my relationships, um, finances, all of those things, like I felt really uh, confident in, in those things. And so it's just like, well, why why am I not ready? Yeah, I think it's easier to to quantify when you look at the negatives, like what, which areas am I lacking in to, to not be ready? When I look at myself as an individual, my character, am I ready for this? Right. You know, like to be frank, I still think I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> still growing up. Yeah. It's okay. You know, uh, what, what, what about you, Derek? You definitely know parts of yourself, you know, and you can see how if I took the worst parts of me and those parts stayed and I had a child, you could see it really not working out, Mm. you know, and you see the things that you need to overcome in order to, to, I guess, avoid uh, an unfortunate childhood for a kid. Mm. And those things don't seem to, are still like, 
you're still chipping away at it and it still feels like a mountain in front of you. You know? Like when I talk to you um, and you talk about fatherhood and even just the conversations you have with us yeah. and growing up, I think about, man, I wish my parents were able to instill some of that uh, wisdom on me or like have those types of conversations. You know what I mean? Like the conversations you have growing up with Asian parents, it's a lot of it's just kind of rules. Well, it's, it's almost not even conversation. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's more like, yeah, it's more like this is yeah, yeah. the rules. You abide by them. This is what happens when you don't, you know, and then that's, that's it. I mean, I think it would be important to just like ask yourself how much of like exactly what you guys stated are like rational versus irrational fears. Cause there'll always be like irrational fears and like, how will you ever know that you've made it past that line where it's like, okay, I've made enough progress to now feel good about it. Cause like it, it, that feels like just such an impossible task. Right. And mm -hmm. how much of that is ingrained in like your own upbringing um, and how much emphasis are you putting on that in itself? Um, because you know, like I think we are all very capable of being our own individuals, our own our own person. And sometimes we put a lot of emphasis on like, oh, my parents were like this. So like my biggest fear is to not be like this. And I don't know, like I, I get it. I get the fear of it, but like how rational and how likely is that actually? But like, I, I haven't seen any of that from you guys. And we spent a lot of time together. Like I don't see any of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think just separating that rationale, rational versus irrational is important. Answering that question for myself, like around, you know, how has fatherhood changed me? I, I don't think it's changed me. I think, I think what it's done is it has validated who I, who I thought I could be and validated like the type of person that I want to be. Right. And so in many ways, it's like elevated a lot of the things that um, were a lot, a lot of the behaviors and a lot of the the mindsets that I, I think I previously had. I think and I think a lot of that um, has been probably the most powerful thing about being being a dad is that fortunately for me it's been very positive because like I've gotten that validation and validation is a great feeling to have, right? Sure. Like to be validated uh, to yourself because you can't lie to yourself to be validated validated by your friends and your your family. Validation is like we all seek it. And so um, for me, like seeing that, feeling that validation now, you know, 16 months down the road has been a, an amazing, amazing feeling. Yeah. I mean, I guess a good, um, a good uh, comparison for me and Andre would be the fact that we both had dogs. <laughs> like I know that having a dog and having a baby is the furthest thing apart, but even having a puppy and a dog is, was so much work. Yeah. You know, it, it really shows you how much responsibility you need, yeah, yeah. how much, um, sacrifice you need to make for another you know living creature um how did you feel about your experience raising a dog andre i think i had a rude awakening not a rude awakening i don't mean to call my dog that but uh, a reality check more so um because growing up i always wanted a dog of yeah. my own um yeah. and i really romanticized the idea of that yeah um, uh, western culture definitely romanticizes yeah, yeah, that idea yeah. and what it was like six seven years ago there was just like a really good opportunity for me to get a dog. My parents went on vacation for, for like a two month vacation. So I had it in my head. Home. <laughs> yeah. I, I planned, I planned this shit all out. I, I found a dog in Kijiji. I'm going to train this dog for two months. And once they come back, he's going to be well-trained and ready to go. And, um, that's hilarious. It was just, um, the biggest, the biggest thing that I learned was a dog is it really, it really stops you from making big decisions in your life. Like what? Like moving to downtown. But even though I did it anyways, if I were a responsible dog owner. Yeah, you wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. Or I would have brought the dog with me. Right. Um, which is why I'm not ready to be a dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big uh, it's a big burden. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, 
like one of the things that I kind of felt was like my dog is relatively well-trained, but there's still so much that I could have done better with him. And I keep thinking to like, what if this was a human being and I didn't, you know, make this human being the best I could. I, like how, how, how is that acceptable? You know, I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to accept myself. Cause what if, you know, the person you raise just grows up to be like, not the best person. And it's like, what do you do at that point? You can't like, you can't fix them. So, and you have to live with it. And then it's like, why would you want to live with something that is now a constant, you know, burden on your life? You know what I mean? So that's where, that's where my mind goes when I think of like children and whatnot. I would rather get another, I would rather spend the rest of my life getting animals than getting children or making children. But do you, but do you feel like six, six, seven years later, do you feel a little more ready for those types of responsibilities? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I feel like... Yeah, I don't know, cause the like it would like I remember as a kid, like, let's say driving to Montreal and driving back and getting into a car accident and waking my parents up in the middle of the night. Hey, uh, you know, the, I messed up the car. Like, I would hate to be on the opposite end of that. You know, where you have a kid, you raise them to eighteen or nineteen or whatever it is, and you're like, okay, I'm finally done doing my job. You know, but then they come knocking on your door in the middle of the night. Hey, I I fucked up, or I need this, I need this. Can you help me with? This? You know, what I mean, it feels like you're always on call for the rest of your life, and I do not want that feeling. I mean, I mean, that's that's fair, right? Like to to each their own. I I mean, I I also share in kind of like a like a fear of like over the long run that like my kids will just be assholes. Like that's that's a, that's a would be a terrible <laughs> terrible outcome. Yeah, yeah. What do you do when your kid, if your kid is an asshole or if your kid is, you know, just a brat? You know, what if you loved it so much that you made your kid a brat? And that's like another thing too. It's like you want to show love, but you can't show too much love. Yeah, I, I know. I, I have, I have that same fear. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have an answer. Um, but I think like maybe just the, the fundamental difference is like I'm willing to kind of like go through the experience to to take that risk. Oh man, it's such a big risk because I feel like. You know, like growing up, um, you know, Asian households are obviously much more stricter, you know, and I think in middle school and high school, we saw our Caucasian friends have a lot more freedom, but you kind of also saw where they fall, sh they fell short. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's so hard to straddle that line of, I want to give you the freedom to do what you want, to pursue what you want, to make your own choices, stay out whenever you want. But then how do, how do you trust that they will know what to do with it? and act responsibly. I mean, at the end of the day, like you're, you're, you're asking an impossible question because you're, you're saying like, how do I do something today or what behavior do I have today that will guarantee a result like 20 years from now? And like, no, no one knows the answer to that, nor, nor can yeah. we know. Cause there's just way too many variables that are changing. Right. And so like, while that, that, that reality is like, a, it's a greater than 0% probability that it will happen. I think it's like just embracing the learning journey along the way and, and, and just like accepting that you're not going to know how to behave now. You're not going to know the answers to these things, but that you remain committed to do everything in your power to figure out the answers to those things. Uh, and I think just even the act of, of, of that commitment uh, and that mindset in itself makes a difference in, in like how you raise your kid and, and how your kid grows up because like that's a mentality right in itself that will hopefully translate over. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, I think it was like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, Richie came over and you had your first, first room experience, That's right? right? That's right. First room experience. Uh, I think you had two grams. Yep. What were your thoughts on all of that? 
like, like, sorry, let's start from the beginning. What were your thoughts on just like shrooms in general? Well, first of all, maybe I think uh, relevant uh, context to share would be like, you know, that not, not just shrooms, but just um, drugs in general mm-hmm. outside of, outside of weed um, has been uh, something that, you know, <laughs> I've had more, more of post 30 years old than before 30 years old, which, which is kind of weird. Um, fatherhood too. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it is kind of weird. Yeah, that, I guess that's true too. Um, and so I, you know, I think I'll lead, I'll lead with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Cover your bases. Yeah. I've been a good kid. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, you know, like, as you asked that question, it's, it, it, and you know, I, I, I kind of established that kind of pattern is like, why, 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 is that the why case? did you wait? Yeah. Why did, why did I wait? Um, don't you feel like it's better that you waited? I mean, we'll never know. Uh, but I think I, I think so in the sense that like I have not regretted any of the experiences that I've had. Right. Right. And and so like that that's a positive sign, I guess. Um I think like the the thing about um drugs in general and, and certainly shrooms uh is just like the stigma attached to it, right? And, and, and I've spoken with you guys about this before, just like how important that stigma is. And you know, we grow up and there's just all these associations uh, of drugs in general and, and shrooms in general um, that just, you know, are very laser focused on like one thing. I'm happy to see the change. I think at the macro level, you know, governments and institutions, but also at the grassroots level, kind of like what you guys are up to. Um, Schedule 35. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you pay me later. Uh, um, like if I were to, to um, be involved in, with drugs like much earlier uh, in, my, in my life, I think I would have just had different goals with the drugs and I would have had a different experience. Whereas Which is more escapism versus like ut- utility use or functional I, use? I think it would have just been pure uh, fun, like par- but like yeah, a party yeah. fun yeah, theme yeah. kind of thing. More for enjoyment. Just hedonistic yeah, experiences. Exa- exactly, right. exactly. And, and so whereas now, like I feel like my goals with it are very different. And I think um, in, in many ways, like the, the goals the difference in the goals wouldn't be, wouldn't be possible if it were not for like the changes in, in society, both at like the macro level and, and the kind of stuff that you guys are doing. Cause that, that's just like creates a, created a perspective for me, at least I, I just never thought about, never considered because I, I've, you know, gone through life uh, only seeing the associations like in, 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 you know, on TV and, and, and whatnot. Right. Uh, and so I think my goals today are, uh, really, really define my experiences with drugs. And if I think about our, our shroom trip together, like my goals for that day was just to like have fun with like a lot of people that I love and like just be, you know, be really open and vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, and just to have great conversation. Uh, and so like, that's a very different mindset than like, oh, let's all go to a forest um, and and like trip together and just like, you know, see crazy things. See cra- yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Right. Like I, I don't, I didn't have those goals going in. And so that's, I think that's what I would be my message, I guess, to, to, to folks is like, what, what are your goals with, with any kind of drug? Uh, and kind of like do your homework and figure out like in what ways different drugs can help you achieve those goals. Um, and don't get bogged down into kind of the stereotypes and, and like the stories that you've heard and just like really be open and expand your mind to, to be able to embrace like the new ways that drugs can like really help, you know, bring a new uh, perspective to your life. Uh, and so that, that stream trip, like the first one that, that I experienced, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, it, it was just an amazing experience um, uh, in the sense of like one, it was very introspective, right? Like the first couple of hours, it was very like, you know, a self experience that you experienced by yourself. 
uh, I mean, we were together in this in this room, but we were individually experiencing it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and during that time, you know, I, I felt like I was seeing myself for the first time. I felt like I was seeing like, you know, Riley and Susan for the first time uh, in, in, in the sense that like I was seeing a different perspective or, or, or like connecting dots that I previously didn't, mm. wasn't able to connect. And do you remember what those dots were or what those perspective were, like those, those new truths that kind of came into your mind? I think it was just like a, a really strong elevation of the feelings that I had for them. And then I was able to like appreciate, more. yeah, appreciate some of the, the things that like uh, maybe were, were just kind of left unnoticed. So like the small things of like, you know, Riley has being able to recognize me of, of, of like the, the amount of growth that she's had in the short 16 months of our life. These are all things that like, they're not rocket science, right? Um, they're not uh, anything crazy profound, but they are things that you don't necessarily stop in life to think about. Uh, and so as a result of, of, of kind of like uh, being under the influence, I feel like, you know, I had, I, my mind stopped to think about those things. And then as a result, they all kind of elevated the feelings that I, I, I previously had. Uh, and, that, and that was a great feeling, right? And then after our trip, like we, we had like, I felt like I, I laughed. <laughs> I, I, I don't you even remember the, giggles the last afterwards. time. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I laughed that hard. Yeah, you were you were dying. <laughs> when, I, when I saw you, it just made me, it just reminded me of my first Shroom trip and, and those giggle, that giggle phase that you go through. Yeah, there's nothing quite like Shroom giggles. Yeah, you, I don't know, you, you have no idea what you're laughing, and it's so contagious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the smallest things just make you laugh, and it's just so funny to you. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was an interesting trip. So you haven't tried microdosing yet? I have not. Um, although I uh, I definitely have intentions to do so. Um, probably when I have like just more time to be in my own head. Um, like whereas right now, like my my schedule is just a little bit crazy. Um, just just with constant back-to-back -back zooms. I'm sure a lot of people mm. can, can appreciate what that, what that's like. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you can tell me differently, but that doesn't feel like a very, I don't feel like I, I would benefit from, from microdosing in that environment. Cause it's just like constant constant context switching, uh, constant, uh, just like being, having someone else stare back at you in the screen. And so I, I'd rather just like have it, have, um, have an experience of just having the time to be in my own head. And, and, mm. and that's kind of like when I intend to tend to try it. I think it'll be uh, soon. I'm, I'm very curious how microdosing would affect your relationship with Riley. Mm. Or, yeah. or just that, that father daughter connection because you do gain more empathy and a lot of people, myself included would say that it definitely enriches relationships. Um, so I'm just wondering, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like when you do do that, how that would affect yeah. that interaction. I mean, I mean, yeah, um, you can uh, welcome me back in a future episode <laughs> and, and talk, talk all about it. Uh, Post-game uh, interview. <laughs> what, what's, uh, tell me more about the empathy thing though. Um, like, cause I know, you know, when, when I've spoken with you guys about it in the past around microdosing, a lot of it was like just comparable to, to just like a bit of a, a jolt, um, comparable to like a coffee or something like that. Uh, but obviously when, at least I don't think you get a jolt of empathy when you when you drink coffee. What what's kind of the empathy thing all about? I would say the empathy is rooted in you're very mindful of your gratitude with everything in your life. I mean, I feel like empathy is one like one of the most important just like traits uh, for for everyone to have. Yeah, my microdosing definitely lets you get more introspective, and I think well for for me personally if you're able to understand why you do the things you do, 
then you understand why other people do the things they do. So you fault them a bit less, you know? So that's where, for me at least, where the empathy comes from. You're like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, cause you always feel like other people are so conscious of what they do. You know what I mean? Whether, whether they insulted you or did this or did that, but it's not like that. Cause you are able to now see your own actions and be like, oh, I wasn't consciously doing that. So why am I now thinking the other person is? Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. You're, you're able, it's definitely a lot easier to put yourself in other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then the other, the other side of it, I would say is whether you're doing microdosing or like uh, doing a big shroom trip, you're able to kind of get outside of your own head a bit. You're able to kind of get outside of your own ego a bit because you realize um, how much you are a part of a larger system and a larger network. And because of that, you understand that people you know what I mean? Like you just kind of go easier on people because you understand everyone is the, the result of their, you know, situations and circumstances and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So you just kind of give more uh, leeway to everyone in their actions. Yeah. It makes you, makes you just like a little bit on uh, a little bit less bias, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Unfortunately, like that's how like a lot of situations play out is that we apply our own biases to other people's actions. And we say, Hey, like Andre did this, um, because you know, I would do that if A, B, and C happened. So Andre must yeah. Feel so a, he B, and must C. be doing it because of yeah. the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's and with the larger shroom trips, I think that's what I've been able to accomplish. Just to, to look at the world through a lens that's not my own, without my past experiences, the biases. I'm able to look at things super objectively, or at least I think. Yeah, and I can see how, like, you know, when when you have those experiences as a group, that it'll just like magnify the positive positive impacts of that thing, right? Because a lot of uh, you know vulnerability comes out through through those interactions as well. You, you just share more, and, you, and you're able to just be way more open. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, you just like learn a bit more, much more about you know everyone else's values, right? Um, and then like you can create, you you can, which then like you know. Uh, changes like the the map or whatever that you have in your head about okay this is Andre now Andre has like shared you know A B and C I have new data my the my my mental map of Andre has changed and then as a result I now know more about you your values and then in the future even you know post stream trip when I'm sober I can now use that information to say all right now it's like these dots that Andre is connecting to behave in this way um, so you know I think there's a lot of just like positive flywheel effect of these uh, experiences right um, again I think it depends on if that's the goal yeah, yeah, that you yeah, have. Yeah. Using with, it as a tool. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because you know, it can be very destructive, as we all know. Yeah, well. for sure. If you, yeah, everything in moderation, everything, you know, with purpose, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, let's let's switch gears really quickly. And because me and you actually, for the past weekend, did another drug for <laughs> our first time. Yeah. So me and you did Molly. Um, how was that for you? And how was that for, yeah, how was that for both of you guys? You know, because- it definitely, for me at least, it felt like a similar feeling. Yeah. You know, you you feel this kind of euphoricness. Um, it really felt like I was on a super dose, like 500 <laughs> milligrams worth of shrooms. Um, but how did it feel for you guys? I felt it was so different. I felt it was very, really? very different than than the shroom trip. Um, like, whereas the when, when we had the shrooms, it was very, like, introspective. I felt uh, like I was very comfortable. In fact, I almost, like, at least in the first part of it, sought out my own comfort um, of my own mind. I mean, right. Uh, whereas, like when when we took Molly, I, it was like the opposite. Like I, I felt like I really wanted to share experiences, and I felt like I was way more talkative. Uh, I felt like I was way more 
uh, expressive. And I felt like, you know, if I was, uh, you know, on your couch in a sleeping bag with a hoodie on <laughs> and uh, a, a, a face mask over, I don't think I would have had a good time. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I, it was actually, that photo I know, right the right insert here. right here. <laughs> Like, I feel like I, I actually would have not had a good time. So, uh, like, I, uh, to that sense, like, I, sense, I think it really played out pretty stereotypically of, like, how I th- imagine it would right. of, of Molly being a very social drug uh, and one that, you know, you, you take in a social setting, like raving or whatever. I, I could see kind of the benefits of, of that uh, because it just makes you way more of, like, a social butterfly. Yeah, you definitely are way more open and you just want to chat and talk about feelings yeah. and express your gratitude and love for everyone. Um, I think that the thing with shrooms is you have those feelings, but you might not be able to communicate it, if that makes sense. Yeah, because you feel as if you're detached from your body. You can't yeah. even verbally speak sometimes. There's just like so much new knowledge gained that you don't know where to start sometimes, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like I was talking a mile a minute when, when, uh, when we were on Molly. I felt like I was talking really fast. No, no, you like, definitely oh, weren't. You definitely no? weren't. No, really? No, no, no. Okay. Well, I mean, unless we all were. <laughs> I, I feel true. like I was understanding That's you perfectly. We got to ask Susan yeah. this question. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it definitely was a great uh, first Molly experience. You know, I, I definitely wouldn't want to be in too crowded and like a sweaty place with yeah, thousands yeah. of people. You know, yeah. I feel like it was a very controlled and, and great way to hang with your friends on like a fri- Friday night, Saturday night? I don't even know. I definitely prefer doing it at home with a bunch of friends as opposed yeah. to going out to these big ass events. Th- that in itself was is a foreign concept, at least to me. Uh, I, I don't like know you, how- what, Doing what, it at home? Just, it's called it's house, house roll. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 just to house do a house roll, yeah. roll period is a, is a foreign concept. Yeah. I mean, I felt like shit because uh, we had sushi before. So <laughs> I just felt hella constipated for like three hours. And I was so thankful that when I, went, when I was ready to go, or washroom was right there. <laughs> so were you tripping when you went to drop your deuce? Yeah, I was. Oh, yeah, I was. I was. I, I dropped the deuce right before the trip started. I was having a good time in my head. I was vibing in the music and stuff, but I just couldn't get rid of that that feeling in my gut. But but I can definitely see the, um, I guess the flip side because I was on TikTok today and I saw like a huge concert, confetti dropping down, and I could only imagine if you're on Molly at that moment, it must probably feel surreal. You know, you just feel so euphoric, so much energy, yeah, yeah. and it just like the light show and everything's coming at you. And, you know, I can only imagine that too. I think that's the next step for you guys that we, we go to a big ass event or a rave or whatever and do it there. Well, I, I will say this, like, um, I, I, I felt like the, the fact that the, the association of Molly and, and just like EDM music is a little bit overblown. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed listening to hip hop. Yeah, me too. We yeah. I was like, yo, play more hip hop, bro. Yeah. I was vibing with them. Yeah. I mean, you, you guys have the videos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it. So, I, I mean, I, there's nothing stopping me from going, going to like a hip hop concert and, and doing that the same thing. Right. I don't think I, I mean, maybe it's just a, it's like a cultural thing, I guess, just that association of yeah. electronic music. I, I think, I think um, at higher dosage levels of Molly, you want that constant energy from the music. And I think EDM provides more of that. It's a, EDM is almost very droning because there's not a lot of words to follow. It's always the same tempo. A lot of the songs kind of blend into each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, yeah, when you're, when you're in that state, it just feels like you're just droning. Constant, along. you're yeah. just like, yeah, constant uplift, I guess. What do you guys think about uh, uh, just like the type of high that people experience and how much is that like just associated with the person? Like, you know what I mean? Because I'll mean? say one thing, like I feel like when Andre gets higher when we're drinking, like he gets a lot quieter than usual. 
I don't know if that's just me. And I feel like I don't know I about get, drinking. Yeah, I don't know about drinking, but and typically not Molly's either. It was just that one instance yeah. where I just that fucking sushi man just. So, shut so was it all up. the sushi? Because I felt like you were really zoned into the music, and you were yeah, almost were you almost yeah. like transported yourself away from us. It it felt like a shroom experience where it was very intro, not introspective, but it was very it was an individual experience. I feel like uh, all of mine so far, again, not a lot of data points, have been very just like happy and, and louder and, and, and more social and, and all those things than I normally would be. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe it's just the contrast of it, but I feel like you've been quieter than, than normal. And then, I don't, know about, I don't know about you, I feel like you've been the same, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, for me, it didn't really hit as hard as I wanted to. Um, I felt like it was kind of like, just about to go over, yeah. but it wasn't, you know, I wasn't on the ride, yeah. you know I mean? The ride wasn't yeah. going strong enough. You definitely didn't peak. And I want yeah. to see Derek peak where yeah. he's just like, uh, <laughs> I like zombied out. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I would definitely want to get to that state too. Um, I don't think I've seen you fucked up. You see me fucked many, up many times. Like uh, alcohol fucked up. Oh yeah, yeah. But even then I can kind of count with one hand, maybe two. Right. Like I haven't seen you fucked up that much. Yeah, the, the tolerance is a real barrier for this one. <laughs> when you're six foot three, man. What can I say? <laughs> but definitely the the lights in your condo. Oh my god, that was perfect for that experience. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, it just made the whole thing a vibe. Yeah, you know. And I think the I think the other thing was like I don't know if you remember, but like at the very beginning, most of us were on the couch. I mean, you you were on the B, yeah. but then like you know you know a little bit into it, I moved to sit on the floor. And, and we like, all kind of shifted yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, I mean, in 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 um yeah, in the full grand scheme of things, like a pretty like trivial thing that I did, but I felt like it made a big difference. Yeah, for right? sure, for sure. Like we we kind of formed a circle yeah. and we're sitting on the floor, we're all cozy yeah. and kind of opening up. And it was just a a great um a great, I guess, energy transfer. Ex exactly. You know? <laughs> it, it, no, you're absolutely right. And I feel like like my our our um our body positions like reflected our feelings right, a lot right, more. Right. Very open with um, each other. That that like would yeah. probably wouldn't have been uh, as uh, as as much as it would have been if I was just like you know sitting on the couch. Yeah, 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 for sure. For so sure. yeah, you're right. The environment just plays such a big such a big difference. Something as trivial as moving from the couch to the floor. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we definitely need uh, both you and Susan on it next time. <laughs> you know, I definitely want to see because you definitely watch, were much more um, affectionate. Towards yeah, you're very affectionate. Yeah, it was really know. cute. Yeah, it was really. I, dope I, to see I remember it. Really it. I remember it for sure. Um, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be interesting to see. How, I mean, I don't know how how that will be possible. To be honest, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to find a babysitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And even then, uh, it'll be it'll be difficult. Uh, but yes, I agree. That would that would be amazing. Because um, obviously, you know, the and, and again, I go back to the, my goal for this. Right, is to is to ha have these shared experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously Susan is like at the top of that list in terms of having, uh, in terms of sharing uh, that experience together, right? So yes, I, I agree. That would be, that would be magical. Uh, we'll, we'll have to make it happen. Because I definitely do think that is a pretty dope thing to do, you know, for a couple's uh, husband and wife to do drugs together. If you're in a healthy relationship, it's just going to push it even further. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely agree. Because again, it'll, it'll just introduce way more vulnerability, right? And, um, you know, with again, with the foundation of a healthy relationship being being in place, like the vulnerability will it should kind of bring bring you closer because it's one of those things where like, you know, you you will you will like I, I'll say like, hey, Susan, I tell you everything and I do. And like, it's not, that's not a, you tell her every single thing. I tell her, I tell her everything oh, and, and she tells me everything. But at the same time, like, I probably don't tell her everything because like there are certain things that like, it just doesn't 
come to mind to tell uh, her. Like and a I, trivial thing. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Uh, and even not trivial, like, or maybe things that I think are trivial that maybe aren't trivial and vice versa. Uh, and I think, you know, um, if I think back to our experiences, whether it's both on Shrooms or Molly, like, I think we probably talked a lot about things that, like, we probably wouldn't have brought up or said uh, if we were not under the influence just because, like, we would have thought that, you know, uh, we would have let our biases take over, right? Whereas, like, you know, under the influence, you kind of just are a little bit more free-flowing. And so, you know, those sometimes those things are the are the most powerful and magical things to talk about and, and to share, right? Uh, and so, yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I hope we will be able to have some of these experiences, like, currently at some point. Mm-hmm. As as two wedding photographers who who see a lot of couples, you know, what I mean, I feel like you guys still have that. You're able to have your individual spark and the spark between you guys, and that's a very rare thing to come by. You know what I mean? Um, and, and when you do see it, you instantly are able to recognize it. You know, and I feel like with you guys, there's like no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, talking about it also makes me feel like you know I take it for granted, right? Because right? it feels so, it came so natural. I don't know if natural is the right word. I mean, we've been together for a really long time. And How so long have you guys been together? Uh, since, since for 11, 2009. Wow. Yeah. 12 years. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, and so, you know, I don't think it was natural by any means. Um, There's a lot of effort and, and, and you know, involvement and, and heart along the way that kind of got it here. Um, but, you know, after 12 years, it certainly does feel... Uh, looking back at it, it certainly maybe does feel like it, it was natural because you kind of don't remember those some of those moments mm-hmm. that that kind of maybe shaped um, who we are at, or you don't appreciate them as much as you did when you went through that moment, right? Because um, like you, when you look back at like the 12, 12 years that we've been together, like you you'll just tend to remember the the you know the higher peak happier moments even if i had to like summarize the 12 years like i probably have a lot of really peak moments in those 12 years uh, and then you kind of as a result of that forget about or maybe less, uh, take for granted some of the other ones um i think the other the other thing about uh, about me and susan is like we have also we are both kind of just like pretty easygoing people in general mm-hmm. That's um, for sure and, and like, I think both of us are pretty, uh, like open in, in general about most things, uh, which I think is, is really, really helpful. Um, because we, it helps just like keep you grounded, right? Like you don't, you don't get, um, really, really over here on this end of the spectrum or really, really over here on this end of the spectrum. And that, that sometimes that can be really, really challenging, especially if the two of you are on opposite ends of that spectrum. And so like, it, it's kind of like a little bit more. Uh, contained on that spectrum and, 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 you know, the highs and the lows um, don't end up being destructive, I think, at the end of the day as a result of that. So when you guys um, have fights or arguments, do you feel like they're very level-headed? No, I think that's an area that we can probably do better in. Uh, I think maturity is, uh, is something that uh, is an area of opportunity for us when we fight. Um, Why well, are you guys like... Uh, all of a sudden turn immature when you guys fight? Because that's so almost so hard to picture. It, it feels I think so we do. Like, <laughs> I think we do. I think we turn I think we turn immature. <laughs> um I don't know why it happens, to be honest. Uh and then like afterwards we talk about it and you know it, it becomes just very obvious that immaturity played a big part in it. Um and then you know we say all the right things, but you know, lo and behold it uh, it happens again. I will say that we don't we don't fight often. Right. Um but when we do 
like immaturity like just creeps in. I don't, I don't know. I don't have an explanation for it. Because I think you're Susan's first boyfriend, right? So then how was that, I guess, because you've obviously dated before. So how was it, you know, being in a relationship with someone who, hey, this is my first relationship. Did you kind of have to like guide her through it or or what did it feel like uh, from your perspective? I don't, I don't think I had, I don't remember deliberately uh, or feeling like I had to do any of that kind of guiding. Um, I think the, all, the other part of this though, is I think Susan has been also just very different than my different past relation, relationships. Uh, different in terms of like, you know, I, I, through my past relationships, I've found what, you know, what I've, what's like a compatible person for me. Uh, what what uh, things that I like and things that I don't like, and you know, in in many ways, Susan, what uh, kind of I found Susan at a really great time where um, a lot of the uh, a lot of those like lessons that I learned were like really fresh, and then as a result, when like Susan so showed up, right yeah, when Susan showed up, it was just like boom, boom, connect this dot with this dot, and, yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. very like fortunate, um, and so. You know, I, I don't remember ever like feeling the need, feeling like I was doing any guiding. It, like it, it really was, it did really feel very, very natural. I mean, I think that's very mature of you to be able to connect those dots at such a young age because I don't know about you, Derek, but I feel like I repeated a lot of the same mistakes in my yeah, for sure. early mid twenties uh, when it came to relationships. And it wasn't until maybe three, four years ago that I really started um, looking for different things in a relationship. Um, things that were a little more practical and utilitarian, I guess, yeah. and and a little less uh, things that I romanticized about. Yeah, like remember when you were younger, um, it was so important to you that somebody shared the same music taste and shit like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like I feel like something like that is um, is a good thing if it works out, but it's not like the end all be all. Definitely, still, I'm I'm at that part where I'm still reminding myself of okay, this is what happened wrong in the last relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, don't do don't repeat it again. You know, it's still kind of something you still have to kind of constantly tell yourself. Yeah, I think you're. Uh, I think you're just cut from a different cloth than us, man. <laughs> Did you? Is your brother like this too, or is he kind of very opposite of you? Uh, I think my brother and I are. are your younger not, brother. Yeah, he, he. I don't think we're. We're. Um, I think we're different. Um, he went to, he, he studied, uh, went to university just like I did. But then after university, he decided to to chase his dream of, of music production. And, uh, you know, he, he's really enjoying it now. Um, you know, it, I could never do that. What do you mean? I've always felt um, that uh, my kind of my work life has been, um, uh, is a very, it's very important for me for my work life to be more stable uh, and to be kind of like a, a foundation upon which I have stability to give me confidence to go and like do the other things in my life that I want to do. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like, it's an enabler, right? Like I, I don't, um, well, I, I, well, that's like the foundation you want to build yourself on, right? Uh, not necessarily build myself on in terms of like, you know, that's, uh, the things that I do in work when my work life will define me, but the foundation in terms of just it being an enabler. So like the stability of it, um, and just the, the, predictability of it, um, whether that's, you know, the, the, the paycheck or, or just like the opportunities and the learning opportunities and the growth and the interactions, and all, all those things. Like I, I've always wanted to, that to be, um, predictable mm -hmm. so that, 
you know, I can use, I don't have to worry about it basically. Like in my mind of a hundred things that I had to think about, I want to not have to think about work or not have to worry about work so that I can spend my mind space thinking about other things. Right. And for me to be able to, you know, have the other, have the, all the experiences that I want to have, uh, whether that's, you know, um, with friends, with family, um, you know, traveling, do, doing all the other things that I want to do. Like I've always viewed work as an enabler to that thing. Uh, and so uh, if I kind of take this back to to like my brother's situation, like I don't think I could ever do that because there's a lot of unpredictability to it, right? Uh, and so, you know, he and I went on very, very different paths. Yeah, shout out to Derek, man. What's his producer handle again? Derek who? At Derek who? So give him a follow. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's dope, and it's dope that to see that your parents support him. You know, I mean, do you feel like in some ways your parents were easier on him, or or you kind of had to like break the door down? I mean, uh, kudos kudos to my parents. They've uh, been incredibly supportive throughout both of our lives, um, and and I think you know they're they're first generation immigrants, right? And uh, that's hard to do. Is yeah. but they've really just embraced uh, kind of being Canadian and what it's all about from a culture perspective. Uh, and so they have been very open-minded uh, throughout all of it. Doesn't mean that they're not scared because they definitely are, um, but they've been able to you know, uh, move beyond that fear uh, and, and just kind of support both of us in, in what we do. Uh, I think you know, the difference between me and my brother is that like, I've always been, uh, I've always tried to be a little bit more um, independent and just like low maintenance. Uh, I, I don't know why I just always have kind of been like that. Uh, and so I've, you know, probably that translates to, to some opportunities for me of just like knowing when to ask for help and, and knowing when to involve others. And, and that continues to be something that, that, you know, I work on in, in both just my personal life and, and work life. Um, but I, you know, I just naturally kind of tend to, to that, that direction. Um, and so I, what that translates to for my parents is that they, they haven't had to like worry about mm-hmm. some of that stuff for me. And I think that also combines with, you know, what I talked about earlier around work being a major source of worry for Asian parents yeah, yeah, uh, sure. and, and the fact that I view work as like needing to be stable, that's really helped them not have to worry. Um, and then like, you know, the difference for my brother is that like he's chasing something that he's really passionate about. All right. Um, it's unpredictable but he's very passionate about it. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, kudos to him for, for taking that risk, for taking that leap and, and kudos to my parents for, you know, supporting him. You know, he, there's a, a basement studio uh, that looks, <laughs> that looks really, really dope. Um, it's a sweet setup. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think both of us are very, very fortunate to have just kind of that, that unwavering support um, despite all the challenges as first generation immigrants. Yeah, to Canada. Shit. One time for Richie's parents. <laughs> <laughs> The whole Richie clan. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a question before I forget. Um, we were talking about this last weekend. You were mentioning how at some point in your life, your definition of success to you changed. And I, I want to touch base on that again. Yeah. I want to know what your idea of success was before and what has it evolved into? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think underscoring that transition is empathy. Uh, you know, if I were to pick one area of growth over the course of the last 10 years, I would, I would say it's, it's empathy and I still have, you know, ways to go. We, I think we all do. Uh, but I, I personally feel I've made leaps and bounds improvement in, in my empathy and my ability to just like connect personally and deeply with others. Um, and I think 
through that, I've it's redefined my definition of winning. So my original definition of winning uh, was very like one one dimensional, um, and I think a lot of this came from just like you know my experiences growing up. Uh, I played a lot of sports. Um, I was very very competitive, and you know just it was very easy for me to associate winning with like getting to the finish line um, or just like the actual uh, you know literal definition of winning. Actually winning it exactly yeah. exactly, um, and then you know that was something that I carried with me into like my professional life. Um, where, you know, it was a very like results goal oriented individual who, you know, coming up through, uh, through, through my professional career has been all about, again, that very literal definition of winning, right? Like getting that thing done, uh, getting that thing done with quality, getting that thing done, um, going, going above and beyond all, all of those things. And, you know, I think over time, there's a lot of, uh, changes in, in your experiences that will, uh, that have kind of completely redefine or reshaped uh, my definition of winning and a lot of things that plays into it, right? Like over time, you you move from being a performer into a leader. Uh, you're no longer the one, you know, with your head down doing the work. You're, you're kind of managing, leading a team of people to do that instead. Um, and so over time, it, it was just like really obvious how the old definition of winning doesn't apply in the new experiences or the new things that you're accountable for or you're being asked to do both in, in personal life and, and professional life. Uh, and so my, my latest definition of winning is like feeling great uh, as a team and achieving something together, regardless of if you've actually like accomplished the literal meaning of winning, right? You could, you could, you could not finish that project. You could, you could not finish, uh, achieve the mission that you, that you set out to achieve as a team, but you felt, you feel good about it and you feel like you've done that thing together. Right. And so that in that like axis of, of like getting the result and feeling good as a team, like obviously top right is the best. Like you want right. to feel great and you want to achieve that result. But if I had to choose like number two before it would have very much been like, yeah, like I'm going to win. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and if no like, questions if, asked. If, if like, you know, I burned some bridges or I hurt some feelings along the way, then, you know, so be it. Now it's definitely the opposite, right? Like I'd much rather um, uh, focus on like mutually beneficial long-term relationships, uh, empathy with uh, my, my teammates and my friends and my family uh, and prioritize that over kind of like just getting to the finish line. Yeah, I know that's, um, I think that's something that I still struggle with. I'm still very like, if we don't win, it was a loss. I don't give a fuck what happened in between. Like, There's no second place. Yeah, it, it, it's either, it's binary. Did you yeah. accomplish it or did you not? Yeah. You know, and, and I don't want these feel-good emotions to get in the way of did it happen or not. You know what I mean? Maybe it's because of the industry I'm in where it's very like, you know, it's very clear if you're winning or not. But I definitely am trying to kind of change that mindset, especially with the, the teams that I'm a part of and all that kind of stuff. Yep. I'm a firm believer in just like, you know, creating uh, an environment where everyone feels set up for to be successful. And then as long as you surround yourself with the right types of people, then, you know, the results will follow. Right. And so like uh, th that's probably the other the other dimension of, of this definition of winning is that like in no ways by by me acting like this, am I making sacrifices? In fact, I'm not. Uh, in fact, I'm like 
energizing and and making the result of winning a lot more likely because I'm creating and focusing on creating an environment that like everyone can be successful, right? Uh, and so if I focus on on that, then like, like the morale of the team, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then then frankly, like the results will follow. Yeah. Do you guys feel like growing up with Asian parents, they were definitely too focused on tangibly winning? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's very you know. You know, did you get a hundred out of a hundred or no? (laughs) You know, it's very definitive, you know, whether if you're performing well or not performing well. For sure. For sure. And that's, that's, that's uh, definitely also plays into a part I I think of like, you know, the original definition of winning because it's like ingrained in you from, from the very, very beginning. But, you know, I mean, as, as our parents all being kind of uh, first generation, like they had a, you know, different set of, uh, of needs, right. And different um, uh, challenges, that are a lot more kind of fundamental. Uh, and so those things made made a big difference. But I think society has also changed, right? Like, yeah, you know, so much. These Even, days, oh my. yeah, e- these days, like EQ matters so much more than IQ, right? Like more and more, you know, computers are doing the all, the, all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you'll, you'll never, I mean, I don't know, never say never, I guess, but y- it's much harder to replace the emotional intelligence of a, of a human human interaction. Right, uh, you can get a computer to to do all the calculations of, of whatever you want, as, as complex as you want it to be. That you know, back in the day, well, people were like did in their head, or they use calculators, or you know, you know what I mean. Like those things have less value in today's society, re- relatively speaking. Um, and and there's way more value placed on emotional intelligence. It's scary though, man, because Derek and I were um, were YouTubing some videos a few weeks ago, and. The AI that's available right now, the technology is insane. Because I, I, I thought that too. I thought that we wouldn't be, our emotional intelligence would be hard to replace by robots and AI and stuff. But there's shit out there that can literally, in terms of, let's say, like there was a copywriting one that we saw. And it's literally able to um, write out sentences and paragraphs in the voice of a certain person. In a, and it actually sounds like a human wrote this thing. They would pass the Turing test. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, the future's going to be really scary. You know, this decade, whatever. Oh, man. I can't even imagine what life is going to be like when we're like 50, 55, 60. You know, what is that even going to look like? And and like, and fundamentally, uh, how different will the definition of being a 50 or 60 year old be? Right. Like biologically, everything, right? right? right exactly. <laughs> like, who knows? Yes. Yeah, what a time to be alive. Yeah, I feel like we are in such a, we're we're a very interesting generation. I feel like every generation feels like that. But I feel like definitively we are because we saw black before and, the internet. Yeah, yeah, before the internet, you know, what I mean, dial up VCRs to you know PSPs to to now, where it's just like, what is going on? And as much as mind blowing is going to be for us, it's going to be even more mind blowing for like Riley. How do you feel about the future for your child, and and do you feel confident that you can protect her from? you know, whatever society evolves into or, or do you kind of have like a mentality of, you know, she just has to deal with it and that will be her journey, I guess. More, more the latter than the former. Um, but I mean, I'd like to think that um, it's kind of like a little bit much more balanced in that spectrum. I think my, uh, my general approach to this is to instill a, a, like values uh, to, to Riley um, and then really trust that she will be able to make uh, the right dis- the right uh, decisions using that framework, right? And so, like you know, at the end of the day, you know, what do, what do we know that are that are just facts? Like 
Riley's going to grow up and the world around her is going to change dramatically. Um, Riley is going to spend more time as she grows uh, up more. She's going to spend more time without me than with me or, or, or Susan more time by herself without her parents. Right. These things are just like facts. Like there's no arguing that that's going to be true. Uh, and so in knowing that, like, well, what can you do? Right. Like you, you can't be with them and handhold them through life. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and so, you know, the, the framework that at least, you know, I think I, I use to make decisions in my life is based on values, right? Like I, I have values and these values drive my decision-making. They're the things that, you know, they're the, the dots that I connect uh, in order to turn my thoughts into actions. And so, you know, my approach uh, to, to parenting is going to be about instilling those values to Riley um, and then, and then like trusting that she'll be able to make the right decisions, uh, using those values. And I think I'd like to figure out a way to, you know, scale that, uh, as appropriately as she gets older, right? Like obviously when she's very, very young, there will be things that, and problems that, and, and issues and questions that she has of the world that she's just like not ready to, 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 to face. Uh, and so in no way am I going to be like, all right, well, here's the framework, go and figure that out. Yeah, You're five yeah, years yeah. old. Um, I, I will have to scale this as she grows. Uh, and so, you know, the important in that, uh, approach is the ability to, or the feeling that, uh, for Riley, that she, ha- she, that she has a choice that she can make decisions of her own. And, you know, like, a you know, maybe like a two year old version of that is like, what do you want for dinner? Or like, do you want to take a bath today or tomorrow? Like very, very like seemingly trivial things. Um, but I think it's important to still make sure that you communicate with your kid and, and uh, include them in decision making, uh, so even if it's trivial. It. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that they feel they feel part of it. And I think hopefully that will also um, uh, make them feel that like when you don't give them a choice that like. You really mean it, right? Right. 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 It, it's, yeah, yeah. There's no boy, uh, boy cries wolf there because if you're unless you're constantly because you're not constantly saying like no, 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 no to everything, right? Uh, and then over time, you know, as she grows and grows and you know new life experiences that she's going to experience, um, I'll hope it just introduce more and more uh, values and more and more frameworks to her uh, and and trust that she'll uh, she'll be able to make the right choice. But at the same time, like she's going to go through life and make you know, wrong choices and, and she's going to make mistakes. Um, and I think it's really important to make her feel just like that sense of psychological safety to know that like, no matter what, it does not matter what she does. There's nothing that she can do that, uh, that will make me ever betray her. Right. Like I will always be here no matter what you do, you'll get in trouble, but I will still support you and I'll have right. your back and, and I will partner with you to, to, resolve whatever thing that you're, you're, you're going through. And that safety element is, is really, really important, right? Cause that's another thing that, you know, frankly is missing in, in many, you know, Asian relationships is yeah, just like sure. that, that comfort to be able to communicate. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a sad thing. Um, and so, you know, I think the combination of, you know, the psychological safety and, and a framework based on values will hopefully, <laughs> will hopefully lead her down, you know, um, an appropriate path, uh, whatever that may be. No, I, I mean, yeah, who knows? But I think that's definitely the right mindset, yeah. you know? Because with Asian parents, it feels like a lot of the times you're on opposing sides. It feels like they want things done their way. You want to live life your way. And it's like there's no middle ground almost. Most Asian parents, at least, they I think they did a really bad job in terms of explaining the rationale of yeah. why things are right yeah. or why things are wrong. They kind of just say what it is and, and you blindly follow up until you're a certain age and you realize... 
um, things aren't exactly how they made yeah. it out to be growing up, yep. right? Um, yep. They paint a very like black or white world yeah, when the yeah, world exactly. is very gray. Yeah, if you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. And it's not like that. I wish I wish it was like that sometimes, right? It'll make life a lot simpler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it's great that you're taking you're taking time to do that emotional labor with with Riley to explain those things, right? Because it's important, man. Because I think for us, you and I, Derek, I think um, we we probably had to spend a lot more time in in like our later twenties, maybe just kind of doing that emotional labor, that self development work, figuring shit out internally. Because I guess our parents weren't there, and not to not to like shit on my parents all the time, because like they they had to do what they had to do. Yep, and it's something that you you will have to like judge yourself over a long period, right? It's not like you get to the end of the weekend, but oh, how did I? What progress did I make as a parent? Like mm-hmm. I don't know, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 but yeah. like as you, when you look back on that thing, you know, over the course of a year or multiple years, like that's when you see progress, and it's the continued, you know. Um, the continued behaviors and community demonstration of, of those things that will like, then you'll be able to see the fruits of your labor. Cause you know, if you judge yourself over the course of a day or a week, like that, that's a very destructive uh, feeling, right? Because you're going to be like, Oh, I didn't make any progress. Yeah, no, it's true. Fuck. I don't know how you got so wise, man. <laughs> it seems like out of a lot of us, you're probably the most put together or it feels like it. It seems like you have your shit figured out. So are there is there anything that you are unsure about? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there are. There are many things. Uh, certainly. Um, <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> when you, there's nothing. <laughs> like, like I gotta make something else. Yeah, I, I like, know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like honestly, the answer to that question is you don't know what you don't know. I, I think that's the that's the real answer, right? Um, because. Like you truly don't know what you don't know, right? Like I, I, it's like it's like kind of like when you're uh when you're when you're like a baby boomer and and you're like oh I'm cool, but then like you don't know what you don't know because like Gen Z people are doing like I don't know next level shit over here and you have just no exposure to that. And so for me, like I, there is an element of, of of fear in terms of like what don't I know, <laughs> right? Um, and you know I talked a little bit earlier about like uh, life challenges and and feeling challenged in life. Uh, certainly being a parent is is a challenge and uh, and there is an element of like what don't i know right what am i missing um what what am i asking the right questions because if i can ask ask the right question then i can at least like form a path to go and try and find out what the answer to that thing is but if i'm not even like in the ball ball game of like what is the right question to ask then like how, how will i ever get there um and so i think like definitely that is a um a fear, but you know, again, I go back to kind of like you know what what is in your control and what is not. Um, but I try to, uh, you know, extend my life experiences as you know as broad as possible, so that you know I can get exposure to as much as possible and just like get new perspective and and see uh, see things in life that from a different angle that I haven't seen before, right? And you know, you're not going to do that if if you kind of go into a bubble. Um, uh, and lock yourself down in terms of experiences. Uh, and so like, you know, I, I told you guys, I, I really, really love how we're friends because you guys live a very different life than me on, on the day to day. And like, that is a new experience for me. So as much as you guys say that, like, um, you, you learn a lot from me, I, I learn a lot from you guys because I, I don't have those experiences. And so when we get together and I, and I hear you guys talk about it, like it just like peaks so much curiosity. I have so many questions and I just want to know, 
uh, because they are things that like I would not otherwise come across in my own life, right? Uh, and so I think that's a really powerful thing that brings people together uh, in terms of like developing your relationships is to have both both shared experiences because you know that's kind of yeah the common ground yeah a common ground you need that um, but also like diverse experiences and the cur- the curiosity part is definitely very important too. Um, I definitely have the most fulfilling experiences speaking to people that are completely different from me. I tell Derek this all the time, especially uh, since we started hanging out more during the pandemic. Like, I'm so glad that we got to know each other because I, I uh, seen this different side of you that I that kind of like shattered my initial perceptions of who you were. Like, there's there's so much depth to you, man. Like, honestly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he thought you were shallow. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Yeah. yeah, like I don't mean to I don't mean to suck your dick about it. But <laughs> so one one thing that's maybe a little bit relevant here is uh, in in my life, I, I think I read this in a book. I can't remember for life of me which book I read it. Maybe I'll Google it when I get home. Um, just like the concept of, uh, well, like formalizing that that goal um, is kind of just like the uh, wrapping it around a, like mentorship and coaching, right? Um, and like the, the the traditional way of doing that would be like, hey, I'm going to find someone that is like older than me, more experienced, um, you know, has just like been on earth a lot longer and I'm going to make that person my mentor and I'm going to learn from them and I'm going to meet with them every single month or whatever. I'm going to have, I'm going to come prepared to that conversation with so many questions. Right. Um, and, and don't get me wrong that, that that's a very, very, can be a very effective means to do it. One thing I, I do is, um, again, taking not my own idea stolen from, from a book is like, uh, extend that, uh, that definition of like mentorship to like all different angles. So there is still that, person who is like, you know, has more experience than me or, or uh, has just been on earth longer that, that I kind of reach out to. Um, but there's also um, a mentor that is like in the same kind of stage in their life as me, um, but is like doing life better or like just doing elements of life better um, that I really, really appreciate and respect. And then there's someone who is like, maybe, you know, a couple of years, um, experience going through an experience that I went through like years ago, younger than me, whatever. Uh, and is just like killing it and just doing a way better job than I did when I was in their shoes. Um, and I think that like that, that, um, kind of shift in how you think about mentorship is like, and coaching is like really, really powerful, uh, because it just gives you perspective. Uh, and so like, I actually have like, just in my head, I don't, I literally don't tell a lot of the people in my head, I just have people that I watch on a regular day-to-day basis because like I value something about them. Maybe they're like, you know, really funny or maybe they're like really, really good at um, like, uh, they're really, really good at like empathizing with people. They're good listeners. Uh, they've, I don't know, whatever. It can be anything, right? Uh, and I would just like secretly, <laughs> not in a creepy way, watch them uh, and just like learn from them. Analyze yeah, them. exactly, right? Yeah, I thought, and like you know, I started doing this only like a couple of years ago when after I read the book, and it's just been really cool. Uh, and this is not just like a work thing. Uh, in fact, I think I probably have more of this in my personal life than than in work life. Uh, and it's just so cool to just watch. Uh, and then I have also by doing so, I've also just approached like my relationships with those people differently. Like I don't feel the need to like you know come up with an agenda before we meet and just have all these questions laid out like i'm just embracing organic conversation and i've just found organic conversation to just be way way more powerful to allow the conversation to flow and go in all the ebbs and flows and just like be okay with that and 
it's interesting you say that because that's exactly how I feel with podcasting. Because you go into these uh, these episodes or these interviews, um, talking to people uh, with an agenda because you don't want to go in blind, obviously. But you, I always have to be mindful of not falling into the trap of sticking to the script too much and uh, stonewalling an organic conversation that's happening, right? So um, that's something I'm very mindful about now, um, and and I'm glad that I'm glad that like you've you've kind of found ways to get around this somehow. Yep. I'm a sucker for just like uh, formalizing these things, right? Because I find it just like it, it, it creates a just like a non-negotiable way for you to achieve the goals in your life. Um, and, you know, I while I trust myself, I also don't trust myself. You know what I mean? Like it, I, 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 I love just having fun and just relaxing and just like kicking my feet back and, and just like not doing anything, to be honest. Uh, and so, you know, I, I have to... Uh, manufacture these these mechanisms in my life to make me um, not think about these things, right? I have the same exact approach for for fitness, for working out. Like I just create rules for myself and then I tell everyone that I've created that rule and then through that, it just creates accountability, right? Now you're forced to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like I, and, and like, again, I trust myself, but I don't trust myself. And so the more, <laughs> the more of these like, just like innate like almost just like a muscle memory thing that you create. Uh, for me, it's been very, very effective uh, to just do the things that uh, maybe otherwise I would always come up with an excuse to not do. Working out being a really great example of that, I think. Yeah, I've fucking been slacking <laughs> shit <laughs> during this whole pandemic. You know, Andre's been pretty good with it. You know, he's going to the gym and, you know, even, even when the lockdown first started, he was doing, you know, home workouts. All you need is an Apple Watch, man. Because then you, get, <laughs> you introduce that social aspect. Just try to use any trick that you can implement into your life that'll kind of force you to do these things. Like I remember when we were doing those challenges, like as trivial as it sounds, when I saw you, there were some days where I thought I was having a fucking crazy day. I was crushing it. And then Richie finishes off burning like 1500 calories. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Is he running a marathon? <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, like the the habits are formed that way, right? And so, like, the hardest part is at the beginning when you're trying to start that mm-hmm. habit. Uh, and so, just like make these uh, non-negotiable uh, rules or, or mechanisms for yourself, and and then you know, over time, it'll just you know, you'll you'll start you'll forget that it was a rule, and it just it just becomes a part of like your routine. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. Yeah, no, this has uh, been a great conversation as always, Richie. Yeah, you know, man. Thank you for. Thank you for coming and sharing and being so open. Um, looking forward to to more experiences together. Yeah, ah, I was, I, I'm. I'm. This is my first time being on a podcast. Uh, it's, it's been really, really fun. Thanks for having me. Um, I also think that uh, you know it. It has helped to convince Carmen that I don't need to be on drugs to drop drop, drop gems because I am uh, sober right now. All right, man. Appreciate you coming. Yeah, thank you for everyone for listening. This is uh, Andre and Derek for Life in Microdoses. All right, peace. Peace.